When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello? This is the Brickflix Frightfest preview series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Frightfest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright and this episode's guest is James Quinn. Welcome to the show. Hey, and uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely my pleasure, James. Absolutely my pleasure. Just so people can understand how this process works, you posted something on the Fright, I think the Frightfest Facebook page, and I said hello, and now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the magic of the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're not, we're not here to talk about the importance of social media to all our lives. We're here to talk about your film that's playing at Frightfest, which is Daughter of Dismay, and it's a world premiere... And I won't take the uh, the glory off you by announcing it myself. So do you want to tell people what this world premiere is, what it's about, and why the world premiere is kind of significant? Yeah, um, absolutely. So Daughter of Dismay is basically what I was setting out to do with this was uh, create sort of a vision that has the the, the intriguing um, um, horror elements and in, uh, in cinematography of sort of a almost artsy horror film, mm -hmm. but combine it with something really big and epic, um, which, uh, for which we use the format 70mm IMAX, which uh, we're actually the first narrative short in the history of film to shoot in. Um, or actually, we didn't shoot in 70mm IMAX. It's a very difficult process. Um, it's a, it was almost the same format, but it's technically not called the exact same thing. But we're exhibiting it in 70mm IMAX, digital IMAX, Regular 70 millimeter uh, 
35 millimeter and Dolby Atmos. Um, and, um, so yeah, uh, this is, this is a very important project to me and I'm very glad to be able to premiere this at Fright Fest, uh, especially where, since we're premiering it in IMAX. Mm. Um, uh, so, and, uh, cause I think they're screening, uh, they're screening a lot of films on the IMAX screen, but most of those are not actually IMAX presentations, but ours actually is. So it's going to be the actual 4k, uh, 4k laser IMAX presentation, which is going to, uh, which is going to look and sound really, really incredible. Um, so, so yeah, the, do you want to tell people what, what daughter of dismay is about then? As yeah. Well? I was just about to do that. Um, so daughter of dismay is basically, a a uh, very sad story about a witch that uh, that wanders through the woods to retrieve something that she very much loved, uh, and she goes through very radical measures to do so that lead to a very sinister finale, which is all I'm going to leave it at for now to not spoil anything. But it's sort of a <clears throat> it's sort of almost like a a, a, a drama packed in the occult uh, sort of concept um, with uh, with very surreal horror elements. Um, and um, I, w- I wanted to focus on a kind of witch that's not sort of uh, the classic Hollywood witch or the classic film witch where it's sort of uh, cliched sort of depiction almost of devil worship. I wanted it to be sort of a very humane character that 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 whose pain you can relate to. Um, and um, that was the focus on this film. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, we tried to present that in a, in a very epic way. Um, cool. So, yeah, that was very exciting. Cool. Now, before we go into more detail about where all that comes from and, and working with, uh, with all that kind of, um, all that kind of top end medium. Um, <clears throat> let's first, uh, what I'm doing with all the guests is and to celebrate 20 years of Fright Fest, I'm asking people to cast their mind back to their own 20th year. Now for someone of your vintage, you're not having to think that far back. Um, so do you want to, do you want to give people a quite a, a, a not long ago memory of what it, what you remember from your twentieth year. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I started I started uh, I started directing um, actually four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which was a a very personal and uh, and surreal and extreme uh, horror short um, that that ended up doing really well over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. Which then actually marks my tw- marked my twentieth year. Uh, so my twentieth year was actually a very important year for me, just because I'm. Well, I, the whole reason why I made that first short was because it was going through a very very rough time, and uh, and that was sort of a way of coping with it. And um, what was the name? Uh, of, what my, was the name of the short? The name of the short was The Law of Sodom. Okay. Um, and it was a it was a, a twenty minute. Uh, uh, visualization of mental illness uh, okay. in a very very horrifying way. Right. Uh, uh, we had a bunch of very extreme reactions to that, which was uh, all in the tw- that all took place on the twentieth year, and uh, that's sort of when my film career started taking off. Um, that was the first major short I made, um, and uh, yeah, the 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 my twentieth year also was uh, that also was um, the year I I got into analog filmmaking. The first short I made I shot digital. Um, but I was always really fascinated with film aesthetics, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, I started I started shooting uh, 35 millimeter still f- uh, photography, um, mm-hmm. and um, uh, then uh, then I, I I was really obsessed with the with the grain structure and just the the vivid colors and the the contrast uh, of film. Uh, so we shot a, a short film in um, we actually it was a feature film. Sorry, we shot a feature film uh, in uh, in uh, in a bunch of different formats. Actually, in Super 8, 16 millimeter, and 35. Nice. Uh, and uh, that was sort of my uh, 
my first experience with film, and it was really frustrating because uh, it was a very low budget project. Um, what was that and, one? Uh, what was that one called? That one was called Flesh of the Void, uh, okay. which uh, actually ended up doing extremely well too. And we got um, we got quite a <laughs> we got a lot of uh, press for that just because it was very controversial. Um, and uh, we uh, like yeah, we literally had Christian extremists trying to hack our website just because of the satanic content. And what, what was uh, what was controversial about it? Well, the thing is, it was um, the entire movie, the, the, it was an experimental film, so it was very surreal and nonlinear. And the entire concept was what if, uh, what if the, the, pro, the act of dying, and I'm not talking about the physical act, but sort of the spiritual act, hmm. what if that would, would be the most terrifying thing and you could ever experience? And I thought if, if that was the case, it would sort of, I sort of imagined it as this, uh, as this surreal trip where all, where all the fears you've ever had sort of hammer onto you nonstop um, until you just disappear. So we tried to... We tried to sort of convey that and actually focus on uh, on on um, on conveying primal fears and uh, and the fears of society instead of uh, instead of a general story, which was the whole experiment. Um, and uh, it was obviously that was a very polarizing movie, but that was exactly what made it blow up, which was really incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we we got a. We got a, an absolute ton of press for that. Like we literally had a, one of the biggest French publications uh, <laughs> uh, uh, rip it apart just because they they thought it was it was too extreme and satanic. But that was the best press we could have gotten. <laughs> we got like it got like it got like uh, uh, five thousand comments on Facebook, and people were ripping each other to shreds over whether it was art or not. And uh, that ended up getting us a lot of sales, which was cool. <laughs> So yeah, um, obviously I've not seen the film. So out of interest, what 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 would make it too satanic? Are you is was the suggestion in your I movie? I don't think um, I don't think uh, I, I think people were just a little uh, uh, um, uh, sensitive in terms of the religious aspect of it. It's just a bunch of satanic symbolism and a lot of blasphemy. Hmm. Um, but um, the 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 whole concept behind was uh, to just like include include a. Include general uh, fears and anxieties that 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 the society has, and a lot of uh, a lot of. I know we wanted to be very broad with it, so uh, the whole Satan and uh, and uh, and being doomed thing was obviously included, just because it makes people uncomfortable, or at least uh, some people. I know a lot of horror fans are jaded to that and do not care at all, but they liked it. So, mm. uh, but yeah, well, the content in general, a lot of the content is extreme in a sort of different way. Because yeah. it's not like uh, it's not like some extreme horror films where it's where it's just like flat out gore and violence. Because uh, it doesn't actually have that much uh, gore in it. It actually doesn't really have that much gore in it at all. It has like two scenes where there's actual violence, but most of it is sort of a. Uh, we wanted you know that when you have a uh, when you have the um, that that weird quality that nightmares have where it's sort of you don't really know how you got there or what's happening but it's sort of unsettling just because of that mm -hmm. uh that, that's sort of what we were trying to to achieve sort of this weird unsettling feeling of something being extremely wrong or uh yeah and the whole concept uh behind it was to sort of create something that feels like that videotape from the ring got yeah nice nice now um you you uh you wrote and directed daughter of dismay so yes. let's start let's start at the beginning of the process so for you, for you as the writer, what what for you was the sort of the kernel of the idea that you were playing with in your head that translated into what became the film Daughter of a Dismay? Uh, the the whole way this film started out is actually really interesting because um uh, there was this uh, I, uh, there, a friend of mine um 
who's a who literally just moved, had moved to my uh, hometown at that point. Um, I met her and uh, she, uh, I've been doing photography at that point. And um, I asked her if she wanted to do a photo shoot because I was very impressed by her appearance. And we mm. did sort of a witchy, a witchy photo shoot, Got which you. was more of like uh, more of like it was a black and white. It wasn't black and white 35 millimeter. It was sort of a, a, a very impressionistic, uh, uh, so almost surreal um, uh, uh, sort of uh, occult shoot. Um, and, uh, I don't know why, but she pulled that character off so extremely well. And she had just this, uh, all of the photos sort of had this sense of, uh, of, of sadness to them. Mm -hmm. Um, just because she, she really interpreted that character. Um, and I just like immediately had a story for that in my, in my mind and asked her if she wanted, uh, to be in a movie. Um, and she wow. said, yes. So we, uh, <laughs> so we, <laughs> So we did a bunch of rehearsals and um, we saw if it would work out. And like I literally wrote the entire script uh, in a couple of days just because I had the entire story played out in my head. Just because looking at those photos, I knew what that character was supposed to be. Um, and yeah, at first, at first we had it planned as a more low budget thing, and we wanted to shoot it in 35 millimeter at first, and it just like blew up from there because so many people wanted to be involved. So yeah, that was so what, a, what? So what gave it the traction then for it to sort of go from you wanting to shoot in thirty-five mil to go into the absolute <clears throat> sort of highest end of of the sort of film stock? Well, the the reason. So the thing is, we always I always wanted it to be something really epic and, and big and grand mm -hmm. that that feels wide and uh, and massive. Um, but the the reason why uh, why I didn't even think about shooting in um, in sixty-five millimeter at first or seventy millimeter sixty-five is technically the shooting format. Um, uh, but uh, the reason why I didn't really consider that at first is just because it's it's I mean it's you can't you can't afford that like as an independent film it's just not an option usually um, even uh, especially the especially seventy millimeter IMAX I mean even most feature films like Christopher Nolan's films even he only has like twenty minutes of actual IMAX footage in his films uh, so that wasn't even uh, we didn't even think about that at first um, mm. until it sort of uh, until it sort of started, until we had a bunch of opportunities, we got a cinematographer, a cinematographer involved uh, that uh, that actually was really experienced with these kinds of formats. Um, he, uh, who's that? He's, uh, who's he's, the cinematographer? His uh, his name is Ben uh, Ben Braham Sirab. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, he worked on a bunch of really great films. He shot uh, yeah. He basically revived uh, a dead format, which was really interesting. Not with this film, but with another film, and that's what he caught our attention. Mm. Yeah, he's actually won an award by Kodak themselves, which was cool. Um, and uh, but yeah, so we got him involved, and uh, we uh, we ended up making a bunch of contacts where we could uh, get get uh, 65 millimeter raw stock from uh, for pretty cheap, just because uh, some Hollywood production had just um, had just finished their production and they had leftover rolls, so we just wow. purchased them for cheaper. Um, <clears throat> That's Which ended up, yeah, that ended up being in our favor. So, um, so it just like it just it actually ended up being still extreme, like way more expensive than we hoped it would be. But um, we ended up getting someone involved who was actually uh, who was actually um, interested in uh, in pulling this off. So just for the uh, just for the artistic aspect of it. So we actually managed to get it funded. Uh, and yeah, I'm I I don't know I don't I. I, it's pretty incredible that we actually managed to get this paid for just because the budget was pretty insane for a nine minute short. Um, Without, you, but, have give, you don't have to give me the, the, the amounts, but what, where, where is that cost for the filmmaker when you're trying to use this, this medium? 
Hmm? Where don't you don't have to give me the numbers, but where where is the cost to you as a filmmaker for choosing to shoot it this way? Where where are the big costs in terms of what the process entails? Um, okay, so yeah, the most of it, uh, pretty much half of it, um, uh, went into the went into the the analog aspect itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, it's not actually that expensive. Like if you shoot in six, sixteen millimeter or thirty five, and you uh, you screen it digitally, yeah, uh, it's not it's not that much more expensive actually uh, than uh, shooting on a high end digital camera because high end digital cameras are like five times as expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in this case, using this format, just absolutely. I mean, this is like a different thing. Uh, so um, I can't break the cost down. The entire budget was uh, two two hundred thousand for the nine minute short film. Um, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty insane. Um, but um, so yeah, literally like literally like a third of that went into the film costs just because. Uh, Shooting in that format is is extremely expensive. So you're paying for the stock, which we paid for less in this case. But you you pay for the stock, then you pay for the processing, the yeah. developing, then you pay for the scan. Um, then you have to then you have to after you have the digital uh, edit, you have to send the negatives out to the lab, and they cut the original negatives wow. uh, to to the actual to the actual cut that you want. Then you have to do a couple of answer prints from that, which literally just means creating a positive, so you can uh, so you can wa- actually watch that and uh, do the color timing. So after that, you make another print, and from that print, you make the actual exhibition print. So it's just like this elaborate process, and all of that obviously costs a lot. Yeah. Um, and especially uh, especially IMAX prints and 70 millimeter prints are extremely expensive because the uh, they also the, the like the audio alone costs so much because it's not. It's not printed on the stock. It's a it's a digital file with the time code, and just creating that time code code alo- uh, alone costs thousands. Um, Out of interest, so, in, that, in that elaborate process of, of of shoot of of acquiring stock, shooting stock, processing stock, getting it ready to exhibit stock, um, where where in those variables is the is the biggest risk in terms of either it being what you wanted. And discovering it, obviously, because you don't know until you've processed it what you've shot. Obviously, the skill of your cinematographer is going to sort of mitigate most of that risk. But in terms of the actual sort of chemistry, I guess, what where where's the risk for you as the filmmaker in that process the most? Um, so the interesting thing about shooting in something like this is that it's actually extremely reliable. And uh, weirdly, I had less anxiety shooting uh, in this format than uh, I would have shooting... Um, on, uh, in digital, just because you, if you shoot in high-end digital cameras, you have to have everything backed up on set. And if if one of the hard drives fails or if anything happens to that, you're, all the files are gone. Right. In this case, you have you have the physical roll of film. So like if if you do, and you don't just lose that, you know. Mm, <laughs> but yeah. obviously, um, obviously, there's always the risk. The, the biggest risk is um, since those cameras are just still big machines that 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 sometimes can mess up. The biggest risk is that I guess um. Uh, uh, having like things like having the film rip and having to redo the role um, just because you lose a bunch of footage. Um, but um, that's actually it's we had the film rip uh, at one point, which was awful, but uh, we actually managed to figure it out. And a lot of times it's not that big of a problem because um, a single roll of, of film in that format only has like two or three minutes. Or it actually only has two minutes on it um, just because the frames are so big. So you actually end up not losing that much if you even like mostly mostly you do don't lose an entire roll if something happens but you lose like half one. Got you. So it's not it's not that big of a deal. 
Um, Can I? I have to ask. I have to ask you, James. Um, yes. As, as as you're someone who has sort of been born into the digital era, really, I suppose. Um, oh yeah. You know the, the the idea of film has kind. Of, I guess has kind of had a bit of a renaissance in terms of your kind of recent adult life, as it were. But ostensibly, digital seems to be what's happening in filmmaking. So, and you've mentioned with your 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 nightmare going. Going to hell feature, you know, you shot on eight sixteen thirty five, and now you're shooting on seventy mil. Now you're shooting sixty five mil to project seventy mil IMAX. What's the fascination to you as someone that wouldn't have been schooled on film, I suppose, um, to to want to choose to use film in, in an age where digital is supposed to have made everything that bit cheaper and a bit more convenient? Um, I, I that's a very interesting question. Um. So the thing is, I, I, the, the initial aspect of film that drew me to it uh, was just the, first of all, the colors are, uh, the colors are very different because in, in digital, you're limited to the pixels that you have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and there's just between that, there's just, there's just no information. Also in the shadows, uh, in, in the dark areas in digital, um, it, the, the camera literally just records black, whereas in film, you actually get, uh, get detail in that. So there's a, because obviously on a piece of celluloid, there's um, there's no areas where there's no information on there just because it records absolutely everything. So actually seeing that projected looks different just because it has sort of more of a depth. And it's a very interesting thing. Um, and uh, I guess one of the things that I really love about film is the, the versatility of it, the, the, different, the different kind of looks you can choose just literally by how you shoot it and what you shoot. Um, just because... Uh, just because you can you can you can go for a grainy vintage look and make it look uh, make it look sort of like a throwback and you can also go for a completely polished and clear look and have it be really sharp and um, I like that aspect of it because when you shoot digital you're sort of you, you shoot you shoot first and then you go for the look I mean I really like the idea of shooting uh, shooting uh, like going for the look while you're shooting already um, <laughs> it's like the most authentic visual effects isn't it everything yeah. in the camera. Is what, yeah, I want, is what I want you to see. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I guess the thing that's that's so fascinating about sixty five millimeter or seventy millimeter um, in spe- specifically is um that it has a uh, it's just the negative area is so extremely large. Um, I I'm, I can't I can't explain this this exact thing just as it would take me too long. But the depth <laughs> of field you get in a sixty five millimeter camera is absolutely incredible. You can uh if you uh, if you do it right, you can literally. You have a lot of depth of field controls. You can do either the most extreme shallow depth of field you, you you've ever seen, where you can literally focus from your nose to your eyes, right? Um, or you can also, or you can also do a, a extremely deep focus, where absolutely everything looks very beautiful. Um, which so, you did so, for so some that, so that again. So that again. So what? So so you can do from the, the tip of your nose to the to your eyes. But what's the the, the deep the deep shot? So that again. Deep focus just means having every single uh, thing, no matter how close or far away it is, in the shot, completely right. in focus. So that's like a vista. You're saying like a vista. If I'm looking at a vista, I can see it all. Yeah. Brilliant. It's a. Uh, it's very. It's very. It's very interesting. So um, yeah. For instance, if you have someone standing standing right in front of the camera, and there's a bunch of people standing uh, standing way in the back, uh, if you use deep focus, both of those both of those. Uh, would be completely in focus, and there would be there would be no depth of field basically, and it creates a very interesting and deep effect that's very great for wide shots. Um, 
I think, yeah, funnily enough, the sound of music used that a lot in the big uh, uh, landscape shots with the people in the foreground, just because they wanted the people and the landscape to be in focus at the same time. Got you, got you. And that's something that 35mm can't go to. No, because uh, uh, because the 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 the, the the mirror uh, in, in digital, it would be the sensor, is not uh, wide enough to actually capture that range. Got so you. the depth of field is naturally smaller. Um, it's the same with 16 millimeter, which has even less depth of field. So in a, in a sense, it's almost getting close to our eyes work, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So what, I mean, because don't we see in, do we see 16K or 32K? I can't remember now what it is, what 2020 vision is. So how much... For, for sake of argument, how much K are we are you getting? Can you achieve then with that? If you want the cleanest image on your on your sixty five mil frame, how clean can it be? Um, okay, so this is the incredible aspect of it because because uh, the cool thing with film is that that you're technically not limited to any resolution. You can just go as high as you uh, as you can uh, as you can go by just choosing the right lenses, choosing the right lighting wow. setting, and choosing the right. Uh, uh, choosing the right uh, ISO, um, so but the 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 they all max out somewhat. Um, mm. it, obviously, there is no digital equivalent just because it's it's not the same thing. But um, according to IMAX, the digital equivalent of seventy millimeter IMAX is around eighteen k. So that is yeah, that, that is like how we see, isn't it? That is how we see the world. Yeah. So and yeah, we just <laughs> I, I just came back from LA where we watched where we got to see the the, the seventy millimeter IMAX print uh, at mm. the IMAX headquarters, which was incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's just like the the, the 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 it has a kind of sharpness to it that's almost surreal um and not in a weird way like a lot of uh digital things that look very sharp sort of have that artificial sharpness to it yeah and um it's not the case with film at all it just has this it just looks uh more real than real life which is really interesting um because yeah when we watched that uh in in that format um i saw things in that film that i didn't even see in real life while we were on set no like, way. i noticed there were there were red <laughs> berries on the tree that i didn't that had had did not see them while we were there but they just pop out even though they're basically the size of a pin uh in real life that's phenomenal <laughs> that's phenomenal um so it sounds to me the way you're talking there's a there's almost like there's a push and pull relationship with the physical media that doesn't exist when you shoot it's so much when you're shooting in digital. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot, there's, there's a, I'm not, I'm not entirely opposed to digital. I think there's no, some, no, it's not, it's some, not anti-digital I think, point. I think there's a, there's some, there's some, there's some very beautiful digital looking films. Um, and I, I, I obviously a format like 70 millimeter is something that, that you just, you just can't shoot, uh, uh any day in. But um, I will absolutely always, when I get to shoot in this format, choose it just because it just has a quality that you cannot get with anything else. And um, and uh, yeah, if you've if you've seen a a fifteen, uh, uh, if you've seen a, a seventy millimeter IMAX print uh, in a big theater, it's just it's really unlike anything any movie you've ever experienced. Just it's just very I don't know I it's you really have to see it for yourself. The, um, the I was going to say, I, was gonna say I, don't, I don't envy um, Jordan Rubin, who's filmed the drone, is playing after yours in terms <laughs> of what you the memory you might leave in people's mind as to what they've been looking at on screen. <laughs> well, the cool, uh, the thing with uh, Fright Fest is we're we're premiering it in IMAX laser, hmm. which is digital, um, but it's uh, it's uh, that's pretty much still the highest um, the highest digital projection you can go to, just because uh, it has. Um, it's a it's a it's a completely different projector. It uh, it uses a laser system, which is uh, a couple of times as bright, so hmm. you see more. 
um, and it's also 4K. Um, and the sound system is also really great because uh, IMAX uses a specific sound system that's uh, that that has a higher frequency range. Um, so yeah, we're we're excited about seeing it in that too. We saw the we I saw that version too already, and it it, it looks really really beautiful for the fact that it's digital. Um, so yeah, I'm excited that that they gave us a chance to actually screen it in that because usually at a lot of festivals you 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 or at least horror festivals you don't really get the chance to screen the IMAX, you know. Yeah, no. I mean, if you'd have if you'd have come to Fright Fest ten years ago, you'd have been you you wouldn't have been getting this opportunity. I don't think. I think it's yeah the, the venue where Fright Fest has been for quite a long time. They left for a couple of years while it, while it modernised, and that's when the IMAX screen got put in. Yeah, <coughs> very cool. So uh, your film is playing before the drone on Saturday, twenty mm-hmm. fourth of August. So exactly that is uh, scheduled for six thirty ish. So that's when mm-hmm. people can see your film. Now you've mentioned what you saw that, that sort of blew your mind in terms of what you achieved, just just by seeing things that you hadn't seen when you were shooting it. But for the for the for the layperson going and watching this film, what what about what what about what you've achieved using this format? Should we should we be looking for that we wouldn't have seen if you'd have shot it on thirty five mil? Um, I think what I think the one thing you should be looking for if you watch it, just if you just sit down and watch this movie, is uh just uh pay attention to the one one thing you should really pay attention to is actually the depth of field because mm-hmm. um we made use uh we made use of a bunch of techniques where um where uh where we shifted the focus from something that's very close to a very far object mm-hmm. um in in the woods and it sort of gives you a, a strange feeling of sort of swooping through the woods just it sort of pulls you through um and yeah you pay attention to that and um also the uh um the 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 I I thought the colors looked really nice even even in the digital IMAX version uh, just because you get a you get a very different color range and the interesting thing is that most of those colors were naturally achieved like uh we 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 didn't we we didn't even have to do that much color grading on it just because it had such a such a vibrant look already. Um, now the last so the last seventy mil film I watched was um, I saw Hateful Eight when they did the two part print. Oh, cool! And it literally played across Leicester Square from where where you'll be showing your film. Uh, one of oh, the that's o- awesome! One of the Odeon cinemas. Um, now you, it, it, it tells me here that you you've worked with crew that w- w- that worked on Hateful Eight, Raiders of Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. Insidious. What what were what were you what were you able to gain from dealing with these uh, these veterans of Hollywood and what they know about making film? I think uh, the most important thing about those people was that the just they, they were so familiar with working uh not just on a on a bigger on a bigger project that requires a lot of uh a lot of responsibility but also just being able to work extremely efficiently and being able to be on extreme time crunches mm. um and apart from that we actually specifically picked all of those people uh because of their talent so uh, uh our composer for instance uh, uh Joseph Bashara um, who did Insidious in The Conjuring? We picked him specifically for his uh, incredible range that he does with with violins and with with conveying a, a very dark and sinister atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Um, and he uh, he ended up doing a really great job. And yeah, our sound engineer uh, we picked specifically just because he's an absolute genius. I mean, yeah, he's a he he won a Academy Award actually for The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, he's a that was our sound engineer. Uh, or sound engineer Steve Maslow. Okay, um, wow. <laughs> and yeah, we picked him. We picked him specifically because, like, we thought. I mean, if we were like, if we can get him, there's no one else on this planet that can uh, that can make this film sound better because he's worked <laughs> on like 400 films 
and most of them, like, he worked, he literally did most of the classics that we know. Mm. Um, so I was like, if we can get him, uh, then he's going to make this film sound amazing. Uh, and we actually ended up getting him, which was awesome. I um, and yeah, the prints are going to, the, the, the people we chose for the prints were pretty obvious just because they're, they're the main, they're the main people and, uh, who do 70 millimeter prints right now. Yeah. Uh, from the guys from Photochem, um, <clears throat> they did, yeah, they did Don Kirk and the hateful eight and, uh, and most of Tarantino's and Nolan's movies. Um, and, uh, we just, we had to go to them pretty much just because they're the, they're the main, uh, distributors of, uh, of actually making 70 millimeter prints. Now, th this, this year has this sort of been very, I mean, certainly at Cannes this year, there was, there was the debate raging about film versus digital as, as, as the hardy perennial, certainly with the, um, with the sort of, maybe the aggressive stances of, of, of Netflix and its, its, its policies on how it's going to produce films and, and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but but I, I figure that, certainly from where you're talking and the kind of people you were working with, that, that, that there still is a future for, for um, high-end film stock. There's still, there's still things to, there's still, there's still ideas to explore uh, with this kind of medium, isn't there? I absolutely think so. Um, actually, 2019 has been really good for film. Mm -hmm. uh, bunch, a bunch of people shot on film and actually screened it on film too. Oh, actually, it's incredible how many how many people shoot on film and screen it digital, which I'm also for, just because it still looks it still looks different. But um, that's actually a lot of people even shot on film and screen it digital this year. But yeah, on top of that, we had a lot of people who screened it on film. Um, and uh, even even smaller independent films um, like The Love Witch. Uh, uh, so that, that was, that was a really, that was a really interesting year for film. I, and, uh, I, um, I watched a bunch of those films with audiences and it was, it was interesting to see how, mu how much people actually celebrated that. Um, just because actually projecting something on film still, it just has a different look. And I, I think people are starting to recognize that again, especially with high end formats like that. Um, uh, cause yeah, like, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, obviously mm. is screening on film right now and uh, people are, people are really loving that. And I think it's sort of, I, pe I think people are sort of, I don't know, I feel like people, uh, filmmakers are sort of reclaiming that format. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of filmmakers, um, a lot of filmmakers, uh, uh, are fighting very much for the, for this. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, um, I mean, it's absolute, there's absolutely no doubt that, that the majority of screenings will be digital, but I think we're actually, yeah, 2019 has been a very good year just because we've actually, it, it just, it just sort of started rising again. Um, it was very interesting to see. And uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan is doing his uh, new film too, which is also going to screen in 70 millimeter IMAX again. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm no technician and I would never claim to be, but as a viewer, there's been times that I've kind of watched stuff and been like, why is this, making my heart sing as I'm watching it and it was like I remember one time and this isn't about high end at all I um and, and I wasn't watching it on a projector either I was watching it home home entertainment I put on uh Billy O'Brien's I Am Not A Serial Killer which was DLP by Robbie Ryan and mm -hmm. it was shot on 16 mil now I didn't know that when I put it in but then all I could see was these colors of, of that were captured in Minnesota you know this sort of beautiful kind yeah. of gray blue and I'm like that's never digital in a million years. Yeah. <laughs> and I just sort of stopped, started the film again and sat down and let it, and let myself enjoy it. And similarly, I think 2014, I remember going to see uh, Fabrice de Wells' film Alleluia, 
And mm-hmm. again, he shot on 16 mil. And, yeah. there's, and there's scenes in that where he's straining the living daylights out of what he can get from 16 mil. It's like, yeah. you know, shotting tiny dark rooms with just a bedside light as his, his only illumination. So like you said, these colours, that the blacks have got a feel to them, yeah. gives the room that you're looking at a greater sense than if, I'd have, than if it had been shot on digital, I think. I mean, I'm no technician, but certainly it's, it's sung to me anyway as a viewer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a yeah, that's a that's a great argument about this. Is uh, I think a lot of people, even when they don't know anything about the format, and even when they don't know something has been shot in it, they just recognize that it just looks good. And even with something like sixteen millimeter, um, which is which is considered a lower end format, which mm. is interesting, just because it still looks so beautiful, and um, especially how far film has advanced. 16 millimeters at a point now where it's where it's uh, where it's nowhere near as grainy as it was uh, 20 years ago, and it's just uh, Kodak has done an incredible job at, at just uh, progressing with the, with their formats to a point where it's it's like it's incredible where they are right now. And um, yeah, so in a way, I think actually right now is uh, is the, the 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 time to shoot film uh, because I think people, like you said, are actually, you, you do sort of recognize it when you see something 16 millimeter will always have a special place in my heart too. Just cause it, it just, it, uh, I like, I actually really like that, that, that slight grain that, that you see in the film. There's just nothing like that. And yeah, yeah, the yeah cause, you, can, cause, you, cause you can't, you can't make a computer do organic randomness. Can you? Yeah, you can, uh, you can absolutely add artificial grain, but, uh, it's funny because um, I'm at a point now when I watch films that were uh, shot in digital um, and, and they, they try to do a film look. Even when I don't know, I, I, it's like I just at this point I can't just tell. Cause, um, cause, it's, like, it's, uh, like, it's like an Instagram filter in the end, isn't it? In, in yeah. a sense, compared to <laughs> yeah. what a real camera does. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, digital grain patterns just do not look the same. Um, actually, what I did, interestingly, for uh, – for uh, so with Flesh of the Void, that first feature I made mm. – um, we actually had a segment that was shot digital just because we had a guest director make it, and it yeah. was just like five minutes. Um, but I was, because I wanted it to look like film two, what I did was shoot uh, shoot like two minutes of uh, of, of, of gray uh, on a 16-millimeter camera. So I had the grain structure, and then I uh, used that as an overlay to literally have actual film grain. Ah! Uh, How cool. <laughs> Which which actually is pretty much the only way to, to, to get the actual film grain look. But um, yeah, I guess, I, guess, I, guess the point, I guess the point to make is like, whereas I think when people are holding on to say an old technology, like say vinyl, um, it's very much a kind of retro thing. It's like a nice to have, but it doesn't, it, it's, it's not an art form. It's just a, pl- a way to hear it. Whereas yeah. what we're saying, what we're saying in this discussion here is that people that choose to use film, there's a challenge still to the filmmaker and decisions yeah. to make about what you want to achieve that can only yeah. be achieved with film as a medium versus you can achieve something relatively similar with digital, but you'll never do exactly what film can do as because it's an organic process to do with reacting to light, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much, that's pretty much what is, what it is. It's just a chemical reaction with light. And that's just, you can't just, you can't replicate that uh, with a digital sensor because it, it's the, it's just the way it records is so different that it's just like, it's, I mean, it's obvious that it's not going to look the same. Mm. Um, well, so, yeah. Well, look, sir. Um, best of luck with your movie at um, at Fright Fest on Saturday, twenty fourth. So that's Daughter Dismay, which is going to be on before the drone. And it just gives me to say thanks for giving his time on the Britflix podcast. Absolutely, thank you for having me. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. 
If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.